Uh, hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. And so today we'll see the part two to seeing the church in the Psalms and um, to emphasize a little more some of the things that we looked at yesterday. And so with that, let's uh, pray together and get ready for God's Word. Always being ready with, uh, 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 with happiness and humility and reverence for God's Word. Getting ready to learn and uh, thanking Him for His truth. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our great God, thank you for this day. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, who is our our one and only, our Savior, our, our Lord, our Master, our friend, our brother, our husband. We are so grateful that you have, through him, made us complete. You have made us to be in Him, and everything that He is, His life, you've given to us. So He, we're in Him and He's in us, and that makes you our Father forever. And through faith in Him, as He has completed all the work, it is a monumental gift that you have given us, one that we unbelievably can take for granted, including yours truly. So, uh, Father, we we seek again your word for the right way of thinking and acting and enjoying you and so that we can live and please you. We ask, Father, that through your Spirit, each of us would be enlightened. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So um, we started yesterday to look at the Psalms that speak of the gathering of God's people. And, of course, this is in the Old Testament. And so... um, that there's nothing here to confuse, we're not trying to do that, and we're not going to do that, is to confuse Israel with the church. Uh, Their worship of God in the temple is not of the same kind of worship that we have in the church. However, the the worship that they did and the worship that we do demands the same kind of mind, one that, and this is repeated in the New Testament, is to love your neighbor as yourself. That, that command does not disappear. Uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, that command obviously does not disappear. And our love for one another, including our love for our enemies, and our doing good to one another, which all of this has a condition of the heart uh, that each of us are to have when we gather together. Now, obviously, we're supposed to have this condition in our heart all the time, right? I mean, God uh, gives us a little bit of credit that he doesn't have to point that out. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, like, we know we're to have this all the time, but what he's emphasizing here is when we're together. Uh, When we're together, it's, you know, there's there's more complications uh, because uh, we have sin natures, you may not like the people that are in your, uh, what we'll say, church or congregation. You may not um, uh, be attracted to them in any earthly kind of way. But none of that matters. What matters is the condition of each of our hearts. And that's what's here in uh, Psalm 15. uh, lists ten characteristics of righteousness that the worshiper must have to commune with the Lord and with one another. And uh, you can easily point them out. It's a short psalm, as you can see. So in Psalm 15, a psalm of David, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. 
And by the way, speaking of the assembly of their worship, we might wonder, you know, we're supposed to love our enemies. So what about this reprobate guy here? Uh, <clears throat> it means that we don't, we don't condone what they do. You know? And so we love them and do good for them and pray, pray for them. But we despise what they do. And that, therefore, just like God does, we despise sin. And the re- reprobate are generally not going to gather with us to worship God. And in fact, they're not. Because if a retro, reprobate, not a retrobate, that's not a, it's not a rebate, it's a reprobate. Uh, if they're here for the wrong reasons, they're not here to worship God. So again, so in verse four, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. So you see there's ten things there. And uh, each of them speak of uh, pretty much every virtue that we are to have. We have graciousness. We have not judging, not slandering with our tongues. We're not to come together to slander other people or slander one another uh, and that's in verse 3. We're not to do evil to one another uh, and speak. And when we do speak, what do we speak? And this is in the New Testament as well as it is here. Not, let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth in Ephesians 4. And so we speak truth in our hearts. We speak, as we'll see and saw yesterday in Ephesians 5, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to the Lord. That's what we're to do when we come together. So David says here, who may abide in your tent? And here it is. Uh, It doesn't mean that they can't come, you know, but if we don't have this mind, are we coming together to worship God? Now, it doesn't mean that we're sinless, obviously. But if we're here together and on our minds, is evil, uh, reproach, uh, actually loving the reprobate, uh, not honoring and fearing the Lord, then we're not here for the right reasons and we're not worshiping God. So, you know, as you can see, you know, we can be in the church, but is it when we're together, is it a place where we understand that Christ is in our midst? And so if you have, you know, whatever issues are going on, you leave them at the door and and not only that, you know, <clears throat> as that has been said, and I've probably said that in the past, you know, leave that stuff at the door. You can pick it up on your way out. You you really need to leave that stuff at completely. Right? It, it, it none of it needs to be in our heart. None of it. <clears throat> and we have to understand that. We have to understand that bitter thoughts, uh, ugly thoughts, um, uh, angers, slanders, evil. And we're tempted with these. All of us are. None of, our, none of us are immune from being tempted uh, to treat others in this way. But we have to understand, like I said yesterday, that God doesn't say, look, here's some commands, but take your time. Here's some commands. Take five years to grow up and then think about following them. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. That's a human, it's a humanly devised <clears throat> means of making people at ease. Whereas Christ said, like, when he, for instance, there's a great line when he, when he calls Matthew the tax collector. Uh, what does he say? He goes up to Matthew and he says, follow me. And that's it. That's the whole story in the Gospels. Now, there, there had to be some more back and forth, probably, but... What God wants us to know is what's important, not the actual history of what is said. Because like in the Gospels, we don't have everything that Jesus said, and we don't have everything that Jesus did, not by, by a long shot. But what we do have is what we're to know. And he said to Matthew, follow me. When he said to Peter and Andrew, drop those nets, follow me. Now you're fishers of men. Uh, and they followed him immediately. Uh, and as we'll return to our, our friend, the lawyer, in Luke 10, go and do. Go and do it now. And he wants to argue with Jesus about, you know, who should I do it to? 
And he, he tells them, go. So we're not to wait. We're to do it now. And <clears throat> this is the pursuit in the Christian life of um, complete obedience. <clears throat> uh, so for us, there is a sacrifice. Uh, we're told in Hebrews that we sa- our sacrifice to God is our, our good works and our thankfulness. And so we have thankful service towards one another. right? Not grudging service, but thankful service to one another. And this is required of us. And Jesus basically said to his disciples, your rights, your dreams, your desires, they're all gone now. Your rights, your dreams and desires are now mine. And he took from us everything. He left us nothing besides himself. And, and hence, that's why he says, obey. You know, you, you've... Don't be talking to me, debating with me, uh, you know, about how we can make this easier for you or more palatable for you. All of those things that you considered fair in the past, they're all gone now. You're mine and you follow me. And the, we, the sooner we get that into our hearts, the, the easier time we'll get and taking the steps towards it. <coughs> Excuse me. So... Uh, for us, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. We're not bringing animals to sacrifice. We're bringing praise, thanksgiving, prayers, hymns, a life lived according to God's commands. Uh, our entire life, therefore, becomes worship. The worship of God is how we live and the offering of thanksgiving. Those who are truly grateful are the ones who see God. And and you see that here in these psalms. The ones who gather together, we'll see it Psalm 84, is the pilgrim that longs to be in Zion. Just long, it's being like, and he's, it it seems in the lines of the poem that he's kind of jealous of the ones who get to stay there. In other words, the pilgrim lives far away and he, he takes this pilgrimage to go to Zion and see the temple and he wishes he could stay. And for us, we live in the Holy of Holies. So, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our gratefulness, our purity, our desire for this. Pure of heart means I only want to think his thoughts. And when I don't think his thoughts, I confess and correct immediately. Um, I, I, I was bombarded with it. It happens to me all the time because I am depraved in mind. <clears throat> and and the evil thoughts come upon me. And I have learned, especially in this study, I stop what I'm doing. I don't entertain them. I say all the time, sometimes I want to entertain them, but if you go to God in prayer, and I have found the trick for me, I don't know if it'll work, I'm sure it would, uh, is I start praying about others. I start praying about you guys. Uh, or anybody, I, I start praying and, and it gets my mind on God and others. And it gets my mind off myself. It works like a charm. You know, that temptation becomes weak, very weak. And uh, <clears throat> But when I do, and I think we all should do this, is to use the Lord's Prayer as a framework. Don't just launch right into your prayers. Father in heaven, holy. Right? Put yourself in his throne room. Father in heaven, holy. Why are you my father? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. You are holy. What does holiness mean? You are in heaven. What does that mean? I'm on earth. You're in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And in just a few minutes, you have uh, uh, normalized, spiritually normalized your brain. And now you can start to talk to him about the things you need to. All right, so when we gather together, are we to be, is it to be a formality, church? Uh, you know, as we, we, <laughs> you know uh, we say this all the time, and, and I'm talking to others uh, not too long ago about, you know, how we do things here, and it, it always comes up, we're small, you know, we're a small church. And be, no, but because of that, there's certain there's certain things 
that lack, and the, which is bodies, <laughs> and, and it, you know, bodies enough bodies to do enough things, but uh, also we gain uh, the lack of problems that come from many people. Uh, there's back and forth, give and take. So when I talk about formality, we don't have a lot of formalities here, uh, meaning parts of our worship service that we go through. Uh, you know, during the week it's me, and then uh, Sunday it's me and a little songs, and then me again. So it's not a lot of formality. But um, in Israel, this was a serious problem, and in current churches it is as well. And this is what Psalm 50 is about: the Lord's indictment against empty, formal, hypocritical worship. People just going through the motions. We can do this in our own lives so easily. Uh, formality. This is a real relationship with God. And with Israel, and most definitely with us, way more so with us, because we're in Christ. You know, God is our Father. We're in the family. We have God's name. We're sons and daughters of God. And therefore, we have a personal and very real relationship with him. And I, I found in my spiritual growth that the, the, the very clear and, and faith, a, a clear and deep faith in the reality of God, and not just on paper, I don't mean faith in him for salvation. I don't think it, it, it bears upon that. This is the, the, the reality of his presence in your life, the very real presence of God that you know that in, you know, the more real he becomes to you as you learn of him. Right? You see God as you get more knowledge and you get more purity in your heart that you, know, you, you come to understand that there's what else is there? Besides him, what could there be? I mean, there's us, and there's but all of those things are him. As we talked about yesterday, that you know, it's me and Christ is my mediator to all things. And these all things on this earth, earthly pleasures, which there's nothing wrong with them if they're done according to God's will. Uh, marriages and relationships, that's not going to be in heaven, but it's here. Uh, the you know, the need to see God through his word. And it's not like the word is. The word is forever. But when you're seeing God face to face, you know, not that you don't need that, but but I don't know. I mean, things are, <clears throat> certain mediating things would, would, I would think, be a formality. But here they're a reality. Everything that I'm in contact with now has to be seen through the eyes of the one who is eternal, and as we are with him. Uh, so this call, what he calls for here is spiritual renewal based on being obedient. And it always comes down to this, is, you know, it's not tricky. Getting us to full obedience seems to be a, a journey and a bit tricky at times, but the solutions to our issues uh, and our problems uh, are not tricky. They never are. So look at Psalm 50. A Psalm of Asaph. <clears throat> the Mighty One, God the Lord has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. So notice that Zion and God are not separate. Now, it's not that God is Zion. He's not, but it's his dwelling place. And so, as we, we should not see the church and God as separate. You know, they're, they're not exactly the same. We're not saying that, but we should see God's presence here. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before him, and it is very, temp and it is very tempestuous around him, this power of God. He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people. Gather my godly ones to me. Notice the gathering. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and that would be Israel, and the heavens declare the righteousness of God, his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Salah. 
So the power of God, and then God gathers his people and says, look, I have the right of judgment. Verse 7, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and for your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house nor male goats out of your folds. So in other words, it's not that your sacrifices aren't there and you're not bringing them. That's what he says. I don't reprove you for your sacrifices. You're bringing them. But do you know what you're doing? And they don't. It's just a ritual. I broke God's law. Eh, it cost me a pigeon. It cost me a lamb. If you were poor, you could sacrifice a pigeon. Uh, it, it cost me, you know, whatever. I'll just go, let me just, i got to go to the temple. Fine, I'll get it over with. And it, it, there's no care of God's law. And therefore, no love of God. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, then you love his law. And you want to follow his law. And I love how God puts this. Do I need your animals? Is that why you think I gave you these sacrifices? Because you think I'm hungry? Like I want a roast beef sandwich or something? So he says, I, I, verse 9, I will not take your bulls out of your house, nor your male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. And a cattle on a thousand hills, they're all mine, by the way. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, as if he could be, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of male goats? <clears throat> is that why you think I gave you the command to sacrifice? Offer to God a sacrifice of what? Thanksgiving. We can do this in the local church. I, uh Got to go to church. <laughs> and look, it happens to us. And if it's a consistent thing, there's a problem. And it, it's not a problem with me. It's not a problem with this, this church. It's a problem with God. And that, you know, I'm not your judge. Who's going to be your judge? Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10. He is going to judge our works. It's him who we're going to stand before. And he's going to judge our works, whether they're good or bad. I would assume that means all of them. And it's not, he's not going to like kick you out of heaven, right? You have salvation. You have eternal life. But how do you want that meeting to go? And that depends on whether you love him or not. <clears throat> the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Then he says, pay your vows to the Most High. Now, we don't take vows in the church age. But this would be, you know, for us, the vows are what we ought to do or what we ought to think, which we read about in Psalm 15 a minute ago. And then he gives a promise. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. And why does this seem to be, it seems to be disconnected. Why is it thrown in? It's because when I say, all right, I'm going to give my whole life to God and not you know, live the Christian life by going through the motions while I secretly want to keep my personal sin and my weaknesses and not, not strive to live the Christian life. As we talked about this yesterday, the flesh is going to try and make you afraid. And Satan is going to make you afraid. Don't do it. You're going to lose out. You're not going to get that pleasure you're searching for or have been. You're, not going, you're going to miss this sin. You're going to miss my flesh, me. You're going to miss the flesh. And God says, look, would I steer you wrong? The one who melts worlds with his breath, not because he has bad breath, because he has power. You know, the one who, what is he, he says here, uh, uh, it is very tempestuous around him. He summons the heavens above in verse 4 and the earth. Is this one going to steer you wrong? Is he not going to be able to fulfill what he promises if you follow him? And that's his point. And every time we turn to these Psalms and we look at them, we think about them, we salah, we meditate on them, we pray them, 
these thoughts come to us again and again. And we have to recalibrate, reevaluate, repent at, when we need to. So he says in verse 16, But to the wicked God says, What right have you to tell of my statutes, to take my covenant into your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you're pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. Right? This is what you like, thievery and adultery. But yet, even though you like what is against God, you have his covenant in your mouth and you speak of his statutes. So what is that? It's pharisaical, right? We speak the words of God, but we don't live by them. Antinomianism. You let, verse 19, you let, uh, you let your mouth loose in evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was just like you. Isn't that amazing? And isn't this so true in the human race? People make God out to be what they want him to be. Even those who have the scripture. They <clears throat> say, you know, I, I think God approves of what I do. And therefore you're making him like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. So God says he's going to judge them and reprove them. So verse 22, now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces and there will be none to deliver. Why is he so harsh? Because he wants them so badly to turn the course, to repent, to turn around. But he's not idle in his promise. I was just um, reading through the book of Revelation uh, today and the judgments of the seals, the judgments of the trumpets, the judgments of the bowls. Oh my God! I, you know, I haven't. I, I. It's been a while since I've read through them, like read the whole book through, and it is amazing. Uh, so, verse twenty-three: He who offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright shall show the salvation of God. All right, so in the last line, has it. When we, this is us as a body, as a church, it doesn't mean we're sinless. Right? Neither are they. He doesn't say, Israel, be sinless, because he says, offer your sacrifice. You bring the sacrifice when you've sinned. But they bring it with thanksgiving, and what they're thankful for is God's redemption and God's forgiveness. And that doesn't cause them to want to hang out and be like adulterers or thieves, like he brings out. And not only uh, being thankful, but in the last line, his way is right. So it's thankfulness and obedience. The Psalms teach us to be thankful to Christ and to gather together to praise God in the congregation with heart and mouth. Um, Everything we do here should have that in mind. We're here to serve one another. We're here to care for one another, love one another. Consider, and I love that passage in Hebrews 10, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, what is the person there in the congregation? Have you thought of them? Have you prayed about them? Have you asked God to reveal to you how you can serve them? And, and therefore, that's what the body of Christ is to be. And Jesus said, how will, how will the world know you're my disciples? He said it in John 13 and in his prayer in John 17. And it's when you love one another. The world will know you're my disciples when you love one another and are unified. <clears throat> All right, Psalm 84. And this will be... The last one. Three Psalms today. Psalm 84. For the choir director on the Getith, we believe that's a stringed instrument, the Psalm of the Sons of Korah. And here, now this one is about someone who loves, just adores God's dwelling place. And notice, I want you to notice first how many times God is named... And he has different names. Different names are given for him. 
And why does the psalmist care about how beautiful the temple is? You know, it depends on when the psalm was written, if the temple's built or not. But Or the tabernacle or Zion. Is he, is he going to Jerusalem because the city is so beautiful? And obviously the answer is no. There's a reason why he wants to be there. And that's in the first line. How lovely are your dwelling places. <clears throat> why does he want to be there? It's because God is there. So do you notice, to these Israel, to the faithful Israelites, they see no difference between Zion and God being there. And so the ritual, say Passover or Pentecost or tabernacles, they, if you were a faithful Jew, you didn't see that ritual as just a ritual. You saw God in the ritual. When you built your tabernacle, that was what? That was God protecting his people in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles must have been fun. It was camping. It was camping for eight days with a whole lot of food. And then they built these tabernacles out of sticks like they did in the wilderness. And that tabernacle wasn't just like a tent. It was God's protection. It was God would take care of me. Even if I lived in this hut, I would be safe because of my Lord. See, they didn't separate it. And when we study God's Word, when we're together, when we're singing on Sunday, when we're giving in the offering, or we're all supposed to be very gracious... Um, it's that's God. That's God giving. That's you know. Don't separate them. In everything you do, in your spiritual gift, your service, your work. You know, it's you and God, and you're serving the people of God. And the ability to serve is God's gift. The service itself is God's gift. The wisdom from the Scripture is God's gift. We can't separate them from God. So, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. A bird also has found a house. In the Septuagint, they added to clarify this. The Septuagint's the Greek translation. Found a house for itself. The bird also found a house and a swallow, a nest for itself, where she may lay her young. So, you know, how strong is a swallow and how vulnerable are her little babies or her eggs, right? And in the house of the Lord, they're completely protected. That is the image. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Salah, meditate. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It really means a, a, a road. In other words, in my heart, I'm always going to Zion. And, but for us, in my heart, I'm always a member of that church. I'm always a member of the body of Christ. I'm always able to worship with others. Verse 6, passing through the valley of Bacab. We don't exactly know what Bacab means. It could be an arid and dry place. They make it a spring. In other words, they fill it with water. So it could mean there in verse 6 that even when things are hard, we still are uh, restored or refreshed. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Salah. Behold our, our shield, our God. O God, behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. It's beautiful. And it's, it's us. It's what we have in the church. We don't have to make the pilgrimage to Zion, which back then would have been a difficult journey. Um, 
And if you, they, it was difficult enough that they traveled in, in packs so they wouldn't get robbed. And that's why when Joseph and Mary left Jesus back, the, the boy Jesus was left in Jerusalem. They didn't even notice he was gone because they, they traveled in a caravan. And they probably thought uncle's, Uncle Abe or you know whoever was taking care of the kids. And then they realized a few days later that Jesus wasn't with them. And what did he say? You know, when they finally found him, they searched and searched and searched for him. They finally find him in the temple. And he's like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? My father's house? It's not just a building to them. And same here, but this, this is just a building. The, for us, the church is the people. The people are not just people. And boy, oh boy, doesn't God... Love, sprinkle in a few here. Could be even be me that rubs you the wrong way sometimes, <laughs> or is hard to deal with. And yet, that is your brother and your sister, and you are to treat them the way that Christ treats you. Who is the neighbor? It's you. It's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, and so we're we're told, you know, we've got a lot of work to do, and, and God tells us, keep going, keep pressing on. Uh, without the Lord's presence in our gathering, we're just a group of people. Zion's just a city if the Lord doesn't dwell there. And, you know, notice in this psalm, you've got, where is it? Lord of hosts, living God, God of Jacob, Lord, Lord God, King, Son, and Shield. All names for God. In this, it's only 12 verses. <clears throat> if we're not in unity, in love for one another, serving one another, and worshiping the Lord, we're only gathered for something else, which is not worshiping the Lord. So we're gathering for something of the fallen world, which churches do, sadly. Um, and, but for us, we saw this yesterday, right? Tom, sorry, Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That means the person sitting next to you is more important than you. You're more important to me than me. And, and, and that's throughout the scripture. And in that, we have... Christ is our mediator to whom we have given full obedience of our lives to him. So go to Luke 6. And this has to be challenging for us, and that's why uh, study and prayer is required. Uh, what part of the Lord's Prayer would apply here, your will be done. Your will be done in my life. Uh, and that's daily. Uh, we are to consider for one another. So the challenge is for me, and it is upon me as well, believe me, have we considered the needs of others? Uh, are we only about our own comfort? Have we sought the comfort of others and encouragement of others? Who needs our time? Who needs our service? Who needs our money? Who needs whatever? Have we considered it? Look, I'm not your judge. You're not mine. And we have to remember each of us are going to stand before Jesus Christ and be judged for our works. And he said we're going to be recompensed. We're not going to be judged to the lake of fire. Uh, you know, not, that, that can't be, right? Because Christ has, has died for our sins. So we have eternal security. So what's the recompense going to be? And he doesn't really tell us. You know, in particular, you know, and, that, and there's a reason for that. And that, <clears throat> first off, it's recompense in heaven, and it's probably beyond words. It probably wouldn't suit to put it in finite words of human language. It wouldn't describe it. Uh, but also, he wouldn't want us after the things, after the recompense. What he wants for us is to be after him. But when we're after him, that life comes re reward. And 
<clears throat> see, on earth, if I may have a tangent here for a second, on earth, reward is different than the work. You do the work, you get money. They're two different things. In God's kingdom, the reward is the same as the work. But it's a, it's a further manifestation of the work. Meaning that if I love as God's lo- God loves, and I actually do it, if I obey like I'm supposed to, and there's only one way to do that, is to do it. <laughs> I am going to see something more about obedience, about love, about forgiveness, about self-control. You know, I'm going to see more about the fruit of the Spirit than I ever could have. And that more, whatever it is, is the reward. Oftentimes, you can think of reward as like joy. Do my will, as Jesus said, abide in me, and my joy will abide in you. And so, you know, that joy of the Lord, what a reward. And that's what people are after rewards on earth because they think it's going to give them joy. So everybody over the last few months who have been staying up at night and ridiculing each other and fighting with one another and spending millions and billions of dollars to get elected to a public office, thank God it's over. And this article I read today is like, all right, now we're on to the presidential race. Like, good Lord, when does it end? It doesn't. Who's going to get in? Who's getting the house? Who's getting the White House? Who's you know? When Jesus comes back, He's getting everything, everything, because it's all His. He's just letting these people play. But what are they after it so much for? Why would you spend millions? Because you think it's going to give you fulfillment and happiness. And it's not. I pity them. You know who had fulfillment and happiness? The one man. And it wouldn't, Can you imagine how alien Jesus felt on this planet? How out of place he felt? Now, who understood him? Only God in heaven. His Father in heaven is the only one who understood him. Who was listening? Not many. Even the ones who were, were listening intently, didn't get it. His disciples were all like, well, he died, I guess it's over. Oh my God, look, resurrected Christ, where'd you come from? Did I not tell you about a hundred times that I'd raise on the third day? (laughs) Was it theologically complex? I will rise from the dead after three days. That's, that's deep, you know. Well, of course, it's very deep. Who expected it? I, none of us would have believed him either. Uh, so anyway, the way of Christ is to consider others is more important than yourself. And this challenge is, look, God is saying, you have to choose to do this. And when you do, the reward is great. You trust me? The same for me. I have to, I have to with this faith to keep going and to more, more deeply commit myself, and you for you as well, to commit yourself in every way, in every thought, in every action of every day to his will is a risk. Faith is a risk. Now, it's a sure bet. Scripture says it. Pastor says it. Even your mind says it. It's a sure bet. That when you're about to take that step, you're like, yeah. And that's what this lawyer is here for. But first, we'll look at Christ before we get to the lawyer. I love the lawyer. 635. Luke 635. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. See that? It says lend. Give. Give it away. It's not yours. It's mine. When you became my disciple, I took it from you. It belongs to me. You belong to me. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. What reward, Lord? Oh, just trust me. And you will be the sons of the Most High. Who's the son of the Most High? He is. He's telling us we'll be like him. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And therefore, we're to be like him. 
Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Be like God. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. The flip side of this, what happens if you judge? You will be judged. And this this context definitely means discipline, as God would use the word judge to Israel to mean like the Ammonites were coming, or one of the ites were going to come and destroy or take and make them miserable. So the judge here doesn't mean lake of fire. It means things are going to get bad. So don't judge. You won't be judged. Don't condemn. You won't be condemned. In other words, don't take my job. Be like me. I I love this, actually, now that I think about it. He says, be like me in giving and graciousness and forgiving and mercy, but don't you dare be like me as a judge. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Say that again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is the law of the world. Because it's his law. This is the way it is. Is it complex? No. Oh, wait a minute, well, uh, Lord. You said standard of measure. Well, how much? How much am I supposed to give? And, you know, you get a little help. The pastors in some churches try to give you some help and say, just give us 10%. But is that what the New Testament says? It's an Old Testament. Tithing is an Old Testament thing. It's not New Testament. New Testament, it says, give as you a purpose in your own heart. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. But the promise is that it will be measured to you in return. However gracious, how gracious you are. So how do, I, how do I find this out? You know, How do I confirm it to myself? There's only one way. See, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll read in a second, he's basically, everybody who's heard this, you know, they've heard this teaching for the first time. We're used to it. But the Israelites have heard something new here, and they're all going to say, well, what do you think he meant by measure? Or what do you think he meant by uh, give? You know, give, how much? What does he mean by? Enemies. Who are my enemies? Who did he mean? Like Samaritans? Or Romans? You know, who did he mean? And he doesn't give us the ability or the time to argue about it or to debate it. Right? This is it's theological debating to kick the can down the road. You know, if I think about who my enemy is, I don't really have to do anything until I figure it out. <clears throat> and you know what? I'm going to make my master's thesis uh, out of who is my enemy, meaning it's going to take me 20 years, or we'll go for a doctor's dissertation or whatever it is that takes forever for people to do. And I'm never going to love anybody. It's never mind an enemy. <clears throat> so skip down to verse 46. So this is all, why is this in prayer? Well, it's because the Psalms are about the church. The Psalms are prayers about, in this case, about how we should be within the church and how our church should be. And I would love for you and for me to pray about that. That'd be that a part. We've got a lot to pray for, to pray about grace and truth ministries. Us, there's a bunch of people online who are listening to these messages. I don't know how many. And uh, them, pray for them. How can we help them? I, this has been on my mind for a bit. I don't know how yet. But, you know, how can I further help online people? How can I further help you? The church is, all, the main thing we do here is about teaching God's word, and that's the way it should be. It's the, the, the word of God is the means of the church. But there's other stuff, too. Like serving one another, being there for using our spiritual gifts. If it were only about teaching, then the only spiritual gift there would be is teaching. 
But there's helps and service and encouragement and giving. You know, and we're in each other's midst. Are we exploring this? You know, do we, or or we can just stay with the status quo? And I'm not saying that you guys or anybody is like I don't know. I don't read minds, and I don't want to know. <laughs> Unless you need help, if you need help from me concerning anything, let me know. I will try. I mean, even if you need someone to talk to, you know, you get that <clears throat> that client pastor privilege. Meaning, I can't even reveal it to the to the law. Not the Lord, the Lord, I'll reveal it to. But He knows everything, so I don't have to do that either. All right, moving on. Do we do this? And that's where we that's where we got to get at in in prayer and you know the, all of us need improvement. Uh, not all of us do it as well as we should, or we'd all have you know reached the maturity that we want. Uh, so he says in verse forty six, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you who he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock." And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against the house. This means that life's problems or problems against the church and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. So, just like in Psalm uh, 50, God said, why do you have my covenants in your mouth and you hang out with adulterers? Right? In other words, you say it, but you don't do it. And Jesus is here saying, look, love your enemies, lend without wanting it back, uh, your reward will be great, be kind and grateful to evil men, be merciful as your, fa- as your father is merciful, that means infinitely so, Don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn. Pardon, you'll be pardoned, meaning forgive. Give and it will be given to you. Now don't call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say. And in other words, if you do call him Lord, Lord, and right now you're not doing, or you're, you know, if you evaluate yourself as not really doing this, speak to your father and study his word and speak to him. And say, what's the root? What am I afraid of? What's holding me back? Why is my faith not strong? And he will tell you. So go to verse uh, chapter 10. Speaking of the church now, the the sacrifice in the church, that when we get together, speaking of in uh, Ephesians 5, how do we speak to one another? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This means that we share good words, right? The good words, the words of God, good words. They don't have to be like the exact word of God in in our own words, but they're the thoughts of God. Sharing our joy with one another, that's making melody in your heart. Always giving thanks and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's Ephesians 5, 19 through 21. This is what Paul describes as the spirit-filled life. Now, you've heard the phrase, that person has a full life. Right? So I'm not here speaking of an Ephesians 5.18 about be filled with the Spirit, which is a command. And uh, we'll talk about that coming up in the future. But the more I see that verse, the more I see it as a filled life, not a moment here or a moment there. Now, certainly a life is made up of moments. So it doesn't, it doesn't nullify the fact that we've got to be filled with the Spirit and when we sin, we confess and stop. Sin, we confess and correct. Get the right thinking back. And that happens in a moment. But this life that we have, what, is it, what would it look like when someone says, my life is so full? And that's, that's what the word means. Pleroo, the, the Greek word, means to fill up. Like an empty vessel is filled with something. And, you know, a full life could mean a busy life to somebody or a very rewarding life. 
But what if my life, I say my life is so full by the Spirit of God. And the context of that passage is, right in the beginning, it says no longer walk, or don't walk like a fool. You know, don't walk in a, in a uh, unwise. Don't walk unwise. And walk means lifestyle. It means you know, how you live. But be filled with the Spirit. And so what we'll do with that is say, well, how are you really filled with the Spirit? And we'll debate it and debate it and debate it. I could get five different books off my bookshelf in there and show you, and all excellent theologians who give you five different ways to be filled with the Spirit. They, They overlap a bit, but they're not the same. Because, you know, Paul doesn't give us a procedure at all. He says, be filled with the Spirit. He contrasts it to being drunk with wine. And, you know, making melody in your heart, psalms, spiritual songs, right? You can do that when everybody gets together and drinks a bunch of wine. And that seems to be the contrast, is this false worldly revelry and happiness that comes from alcohol as opposed to coming from the Spirit of God. And how are those different? They're very different. So getting back to the lawyer here, uh, if we keep posing problems, even theological ones, we keep pushing our actual obedience down the road. This we must not do. Are there theological conundrums? There's more than you can imagine. Uh, The more I work at uh, even the courses I'm taking in school, the more... The more I, I'm knowing how much I don't know, the Bible's enormous. And not everything shakes out of it. You know, into nice, neat, watertight compartments that we can say, oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But when it comes to the big things, the major things, they're all stated so very simply. Just like our Lord said, love your enemies. Is there anything confusing about that? Well, I can make it confusing if I say, well, define love. You know, and we're going to talk about it. So here he comes, Luke 10. I just wanted to do the parable. Luke 10:25. the lawyer stood up and put him to the test. He, he does not care about eternal life. What he cares about is testing Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, look, uh, he says, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? In other words, Jesus knows that this man knows what the commandments are. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. And Jesus himself said that the whole law is summed up in these commandments. And we also know that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is. And so these commandments are summed up in him. So to love the Lord as a Jew and to reject his Messiah would be a a great paradox. And again, he's talking to Jews here. Gentiles don't know this command from, from Adam. But to the Jews, they do. So uh, this man loses this question. And so he goes to the next. Well, Jesus actually says, all right, you've answered correctly in verse 28. Do this and you will live. And the, now the lawyer says, oh, I wasn't expecting that. So then he says to Jesus, trying to justify himself, who is my neighbor? And this, again, is just debate. And if Jesus argued about him, with him about who is the neighbor, he would ask another question. And then another question, and another question. So Jesus cuts him off. What is debate when it comes to this? When commands are obvious, and we want to debate them, it's a sponta- rather than spontaneous obedience, debate is justifying doubt and disobedience. We just don't want to do it. We, it's a lot easier to talk about it than do it. So we don't want to. So here comes the Lord. He says, now, look, a man was going down, verse 30, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. 
And by chance, a priest was going on the ro- down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who the Jews hated these people, who was on a journey, came, about, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up, his, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine in them, and he put him on his own breast and brought him to an inn to take, and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Wherever, <clears throat> whatever you, more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Well, it's pretty obvious, Jesus. So he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So Jesus' response is the same. He gives him a parable that is so easy to decipher. You know, like it's not like the parable of the sower. We're like, all right, who are the birds? And, you know, we're trying to figure that out. This is so easy. And the man can't say anything but the right answer. And then Jesus says, look, see how easy that was? Now go and do it. Go and do it. And when it comes to the church, when it comes to us, the neighbors were... You know, love your neighbor as yourself, that means the neighbor is you. They're you. Treat them as you would treat you. It's not self-love. It's treat them as you would have as you would treat you. And so everybody <laughs> this is this is uh it's just so very true and so very hard to soak in that everybody has a claim on us. Everybody had a claim on Christ. He died for the sins of the world. And everybody has a claim on us. And by God, your flesh will try and argue yourself out of that one. And it's just the truth. So here's the thing. There's a great reward with doing that. And none of us are going to see that reward unless we do it. Including me. So, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the uh, passages that we've seen the Psalms that we've seen, and thank you for the church, the gathering of your people, your saved people, the body of Christ, so that we can love one another and, and encourage one another and speak truth to one another and serve one another. And Father, may we see the great reward in doing what you have commanded us to do. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen.